Welcome to the CX Impact Podcast. Speed up your customer experience success. The CX Impact Podcast is brought to you by Gemseek, your trusted analytics advisor, helping you predict what your customers will do next. Hello, everybody. I'm Momchu Blaskov, host of the CX Impact Podcast and CX Champion in Gemseek. Hope you liked the previous episode of the podcast. If you haven't heard it yet, you can find it on Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Today's episode is really like a dream come true for me. We will dive into the patient experience world to learn how to provide compassionate care and why this leads to improvement in clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. We will also give many practical examples of how to start a patient experience program and to run it smoothly. We'll cover and discuss the impact of COVID-19 on patient experience and how the new reality looks like. I'm privileged today to have as my guest Tiffany Christensen. Tiffany is currently a Vice President Experience Integration at the Barrow Institute. She approaches her work with the view of patient um, having undergone two double lung transplants. Tiffany is a patient experience leader as well as recognized public speaker. She specializes in workshops, keynotes, and writings that serve as a bridge between the professional and patient experience, grounded in strategies to capture and act on the lived experience of staff, clinicians, patients, and families. Tiffany is also the author of three books, Exploring Advocacy, End-of-Life Planning, and Partnership Strategies in Healthcare. Tiffany, thanks a lot for being on the CX Impact podcast. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I would like to begin with telling us more about your path in patient experience and why you have selected the field. Yeah, so uh, as a person who really started my life as a patient, I was diagnosed at uh, six months of age with cystic fibrosis. So uh, I really started off uh, my whole life. I've been um, in some way connected to healthcare, getting getting treatment from um, healthcare, and then as that evolved over my lifetime, I uh, really became interested in uh, what that looks like on the other side of the um, policies and the regulations and the uh, communication strategies and things like that. So as uh, I evolved as an adult into my uh, older years, I was able to um, really be able to to think about patient experience from both sides of the bed uh, as a patient advocate, uh, as, all, as a patient myself, as a family member, and also as somebody who um, you know, thinks about it from a, a bird's eye view. So uh, really just uh, very exciting to be able to look at it from all of those different angles. Right. You managed to overcome or go through all this difficult period. It's interesting just to share your perspective of how you really managed to do this. Yeah, in terms of my, my patient journey, you mean? Right, in terms of your patient journey. Yeah. So as a patient, um, I, as I mentioned, I was born with cystic fibrosis. So that means that I spent a lot of time in the hospital going to see uh, my doctors. I was a very, very sick um, for most of my teen years and into my early 20s. And then by the time I was 21, I was so sick that the doctors decided that they needed to put me on a list for a double lung transplant. So I uh, was lucky enough to receive that double lung transplant in, in the year 2000, 
Uh, unfortunately, however, that lung transplant did not last as long as we would all had hoped. And so uh, by 2002, my lungs were rejecting and I was once again very sick and on oxygen. Uh, and luckily for me, once again, I'm a, I'm a lucky person, I guess that's the theme for the day. Uh, by 2004, they were able to give me a second double lung transplant. And after that, I've done very, very well physically uh, with my lungs, but there's a lot of other things that come along with a lung transplant, like uh, diabetes and kidney disease uh, and um, other types of things immunos that come with immunosuppression. And so uh, here I am today, it's uh, 2020, and um, I'm so, so grateful to still be alive with these uh, donor lungs and at the same time, I'm waiting on a donor kidney uh, because my kidneys are now failing. So it's always, a, it's always a journey when you're dealing with this level of complexity of medicine. Uh, there's always going to be the, the beautiful side of it, uh, the side that you're so grateful for, and then the other side, which is the side that is a little more challenging. And I get to live both of those, those sides. Yeah, your story is really very inspiring. I think many patients would really like to have your courage and strength in coping with all this. And as you have experience both as a chronic patient and also work daily for improving patient experience, how beneficial it is to have the both perspectives? I, I think it's an interesting thing to be able to know what we are working on in the world of patient experience while also being a patient. Uh, to be able to know that, you know, for example, we have um, certain ways that we would like people to communicate with the patients and seeing how that really um, looks in real life. And uh, one of the things that I've learned is that you can teach a lot of best practices, whether that's an acronym like RELATE or AIDIT, um, to uh, communicate well with your patients and, and families. And those are good tools to use. But at the end of the day, it's the spirit by which those tools are used. And so we can't let go of the human experience of healthcare in the sense that if it becomes a, a tool that we use and it feels rote or it feels inauthentic, then we've really not achieved the goal that we wanted to achieve, which is to provide a better patient experience. So as a patient, I've experienced um, you know, people who have done a great job with tools that I'm very familiar with. I know what they're doing. I understand that they're using a, a particular strategy. Um, but the reason that, that I appreciate and, uh, and enjoy what they're doing or, or I get benefit from what they're doing is because the spirit by which they're doing it is really one that's grounded in the understanding of the why, of why we care about patient experience, what it is that we're trying to achieve with patient experience versus someone who might be using something as a tool um, or because their boss told them to, for example, or because it's required of them. And you can feel that as a patient. And so when a, 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 being a person who gets to see both sides of that, uh, it really is kind of fascinating. Totally agree with what you're saying. And um, we're also seeing over and over again that it's really about compassionate care. 
uh, no matter what model do you provide. And even this can have an impact on obviously following your treatment, which at the end of the day can improve the clinical outcomes if you really receive from physician nurses uh, compassionate care. Sure, absolutely. And and the word, I mean, compassionate or empathetic or even just present, you know, one of the things that I've noticed a lot is that, uh, especially right now with COVID-19, everybody is extremely stressed out. I mean, before COVID-19, people were very stressed out, but uh, even more so now. And, and I've noticed that because of the level of stress that our healthcare providers are experiencing, it's very, very challenging for them to simply be present. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, if you ask me a question, uh, just a simple question, go ahead and ask me a simple question like, you know, uh, when was the last time you, um, you, you uh, saw your doctor? Go ahead and ask me. When was the last time that you saw your doctor? And then I say, oh, it was two weeks ago. And then the next thing you know, you ask me uh, again, when was the last time you saw your doctor, right? And so yeah. it's there is a lack of presence that I've noticed. Uh, people really are just, they're moving so fast. Their brains are, are processing things so differently that, um, or, or processing things that are, you know, all the 10,000 things that they have to be doing today and in this moment or as soon as they leave this room, that they're not actually present in the moment. And so it's actually in a way inefficient um, because if you ask me twice, when was the last time you saw your doctor, then that's an inefficiency to what you're doing. It's also making me feel like you're not even noticing that I'm here as a human sitting in this room. So when we talk about compassion, I think in a lot of ways, um, we really need to just get back to basic, basic, basic being present in the room and actually listening to what the person is saying, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And uh, even summarizing, repeating what the patient has said and what we also have seen asking a question like, um, do you have anything additional that you'd like to share uh, really helps to change the entire perception. Right. And then, then but then again, I want to just reiterate what, I'm, what, I'm, what I have experienced, which is, do you have anything else you want to share? And then you have to actually listen to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the hard part. <laughs> we already started touching upon the current uh, COVID-19 crisis. Has the importance to provide compassionate care changed now? Is it higher? Is it more important to provide compassion? I think, I think the type of compassion or the type of, uh, I'll use the word awareness maybe, that we're looking at in COVID-19 is, is different. And I, and I think that, that there's a lot of tragedy in what's going on in the world with COVID-19, obviously, but there is some opportunity there that I do hope that will carry forward. And that is that as a patient and as a person who's been um, worked in hospitals, there seems to be in some cases this sense of us and them or an adversarial relationship. It's you know, doctors and nurses versus patients and families kind of thing. And 
sort of a distrust that the, that the, that the care providers, the, the, the physicians, the nurses, the respiratory therapists really do have the patient's best interest at heart. And I think that given what we've seen now in how they have put their life on the line, literally, and how they have really just stepped up and as so many people call them heroes or whatever word you want to use there, um, we can't really deny at this point that healthcare professionals care about the well-being of those that they are caring for, those that they serve. So what do we do with that? How do we take that understanding and that, that um, reassurance and move forward with that in a way that now we can be more partnered and I think that we don't have the answer for that right now. I think that, that we need for uh, the, the, the crisis to settle down a little bit. But I'd love to see us come back together at a later point and be able to say, hey, I saw, as a patient, hey, I saw what you did out there. I saw that you put your life on the line for patients and families. And, you know, how are we, I, I appreciate you. I see you. I'm, I'm grateful for you. And, and now as a patient, I want to move forward with you in a different way, in a, in a way where we're more, again, going back to that word, uh, more aligned as humans in healthcare. And uh, I think we have a lot of opportunity for that. Um, I don't know what it looks like yet, uh, but, but I think that we have a lot of opportunity for that. It's really amazing to see how this is about to happen. Hopefully that it will actually take place and patients uh, won't quickly forget what physicians are doing currently, as well as that physicians will be really patient-centric, focused on listening and giving uh, their best, being present, as you mentioned, is a the very simple but not so easy to achieve thing with all of the like technology and things that are happening around them. Yeah. And, and how can we be present as patients and families? We now know that our clinicians are going to be experiencing um, trauma. I don't know how else to say it. They've experienced trauma from COVID-19. And so how, are, how can we be present for them? And that's a question, again, I don't have an answer to, but it's one that I think that we need to be asking. Totally agree. Okay, and um, now with the current setup and the fact that many of the normal processes have been changed, do you see like the importance of different uh, patient journey touch points to have uh, changed over the past few months? I think the most interesting thing for me about COVID-19 is that it actually did not show us that we were doing anything that needed to be done differently. It only reinforced everything that we were already talking about in the field of the patient experience and it only showed us that we need to do more of it and we need to be more diligent about doing it you know this whole concept of um, you know supporting uh, patients families staff and clinician experience by understanding what it is that is most important to them um, by having structure around our communication um, really, if you look at any aspect of what we've talked about in terms of what matters with patient experience and with staff and clinician experience, all of that came to the surface with COVID-19, and it only just really reinforced 
that what we've been saying all this time was absolutely accurate and absolutely something that we need to uh, continue to, to focus on. So in a way, uh, COVID-19 was just a reaffirmation of everything we already knew. We've heard uh, examples of many hospitals decided either to stop or significantly decrease the collection of fees, patient feedback currently. What do you think about this, how it should look like in the current uh, crisis period? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, I think that there, the, for me, there's kind of two answers to that question. I, I, As a person who has experienced healthcare a lot, I'm always um, not not 100% on board with the questions that we ask in the first place in terms of how we um, collect patient feedback and what questions we think are, uh, you know, what questions are we gathering versus what questions should we be asking. Um, but I certainly don't think that we can, we can ever stop our diligence. Uh, no matter what is happening in healthcare, we need to know what is the experience. Um, for lots of reasons. One, because um, unfortunately COVID-19 is probably not something that's going to just suddenly end. Um, so we need to know uh, sort of moving forward, what are the things that we're doing that we should continue to do and what are the things that we can maybe let go of. Um, but also just uh, because patient experience and clinician experience, those are things that we always have to keep our fingers on the pulse of in order to understand because these influence safety, quality, and uh, outcomes. And so we really have to uh, maintain our, our focus on that no matter what's happening in the world. Yeah, that's really super insightful, Tiffany. Thanks for, thanks for sharing and um, totally agree with you that we don't know exactly how long this situation continue and we can't afford to stop uh, asking uh, patients and uh, clinicians knowing exactly what they what they experience and what uh, drives it currently yeah and it, and it may not be about surveys you know it may not it, it the the way that we gather feedback can change the way that we gather feedback can evolve based on what's happening um, so it may not be about surveys. It may be about something uh, gathering that feedback differently, um, focus groups or some other type of uh, of method. But we can't let down our guard and just simply stop gathering the feedback, no matter what. Jump and learn more about your work at the Barry Institute. You have trained hundreds of professionals to use the Barry Institute experience framework. Can you tell us a bit more about it, uh, the framework itself, as well as like the people that you have trained? Yeah, so um, the framework is um, basically a way for those who are looking to improve experience. Uh, it gives them a, well, literally a framework to be able to look at all of the different elements that go into improving experience to organize themselves and to um, really uh, do a deeper dive in the areas that need attention. So the framework has eight different lenses and those lenses are things that are 
not going to be unusual or, or, or surprising to you. The, there are things like patient and family engagement, innovation and technology, culture, all of the different pieces and parts that go into improving experience are woven into the experience framework. The experience framework then allows an organization or an individual to um, do an assessment of themselves and be able to see where they have uh, weaknesses and where they have strengths. And obviously where there are weaknesses are opportunities to do um, a, a deeper dive. So if you do the experience assessment, which is a tool that we have, it's an online um, survey tool, you can find out, oh, so my organization, for example, is very strong in innovation and technology, but we have a lot of work to do in the space of patient and family engagement. Then you can start looking at uh, what are you doing? What should you be doing differently? Where are your opportunities to expand and grow? So really the framework is uh, something that was built in the spirit of understanding that improving experience is not going to happen in just one way with one avenue. It has to be looked at, at a, with a larger lens and really uh, kind of incorporating a lot of different components to be successful. And this helps organize people and it helps people assess where they are so that they can move forward with the priorities that they need to move forward with. You say alone, and I want really to zoom into each of these individually. So, for example, let's pick up innovation and uh, technology. Why this is important? And if you work very hard to improve one of these elements, but you lag behind significantly on the others, probably it will be hard to have a complete uh, and successful patient experience program. They should move simultaneously. Well, I mean, I wouldn't want anyone to think that there's such thing as perfection. Uh, I mean, ideally, I think we'd love to see an organization where every single one of the eight lenses of the experience framework is all working at the highest capacity possible. But uh, I think that that's also um, pretty unrealistic. Uh, I mean, we are human beings and we're all doing the best we can. So... Um, you know, it's really not about judging or, or um, you know, feeling bad that we're not doing a good job, but, but really just understanding where are our areas of opportunity. So, you know, you mentioned the possibility of, an, of innovation and technology as being one of those opportunities and why would that matter, for example. Well, if, if you are an organization that is um, doing a good job in other areas, but you lack innovation, um, then you may be an organization that's missing opportunities to be more efficient or to be working in a way um, that is going to uh, be more interesting or exciting to those who you would be recruiting, for example. Um, and, and again, I'm just really just making this up based on um, other organizations I've worked with, but the whole point of understanding your lens of opportunities, so if innovation and technology is a lens that you are not maybe doing as well in as others, 
then um, it's an opportunity for you to dig a little bit deeper and say, you know, what is it about our organization that is lacking in innovation and where are the gaps and what can we be doing differently? And the same would be for technology. If we are lacking in technology, it's not about let's go out and buy all new iPads for everybody. It's about doing the work to understand what is it that we need to do that will truly create meaningful change. What can we do to truly create meaningful change through uh, a new technology? And that might be uh, something that's more of a clinical technology, like a surgical um, mechanism, uh, or it could be something that's more patient-facing. But it's really, uh, again, the lenses are not about um, any one particular thing. It's about helping you do a deeper dive into your own organization to understanding what it is that your organization needs at that moment. How can hospitals really go one step further and, for example, understand exactly what within technology? As what you mentioned, really a great example that they might go and just purchase iPads for all the nurses, for example, without investigating the what exactly to so do. So how this to area. avoid that? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, how to avoid and really to understand what exactly they need to do. Okay, so th this is really what boils it down for me in terms of all the work that I do comes to what I call the lived experience. So if you're not listening to investing in and finding methods by which to capture and act on the lived experience, then there's a really good chance that you're going to be wasting time, energy, and money. And so really what it's all about is going in and doing uh, hands-on work, whether that's uh, observing at the front lines, what literally watching the people who are delivering the care, uh, having conversations with people who are receiving the care, having focus groups with people who are um, delivering that care, understanding what is the lived experience of your specific area of healthcare delivery, and then understanding what is the priority for change. So I'm when I do these focus groups, for example, I'll go in and there'll be, let's say, 15 to 20 different things that they'd like to see done differently, but there's only going to be about two or three things that they tell me, this has to be done right away. This is really making our lives miserable or making our, our job very uh, much more difficult. Uh, and so by doing that, by helping them prioritize or by coming in, listening to the lived experience, understanding the pain points, and then prioritizing the pain points that you're going to change, you are going to be able to make sure that you're spending your money wisely you're investing in improvement efforts in a way that's meaningful to those who are uh, receiving improvements, whether that's patients, families, staff, or, cl or clinicians. Um, and you're going to be able to um, really improve that uh, morale as well. Because when people see that those improvements are coming, they will appreciate that and feel a greater connection and loyalty to the organization itself. Well, that's super interesting. And the fact that really lived experience should be what drives your decisions and this should be a 
combination of uh, all the key uh, stakeholders that we have uh, patients, um, caregivers, uh, clinicians, nurses, and all the other um, healthcare provider staff. Absolutely. And something that also uh, really that you mentioned, it's super interesting. All this is connected and what we're seeing now that hospitals and uh, hospital chains have higher patient experience scores. They manage to attract and more importantly, retain top talent when it comes to both clinicians, nurses. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of doing that type of work is it's not about only just the, again, we, we keep circling back to this term, the human experience in healthcare, right? It's not only about the patient experience and the, the family experience, although those are, those are extremely important components of making sure that we're providing good experiences and we're um, doing our due diligence, but we also have to equally understand the experience of our staff, our clinicians, our nurses, everybody, as you just said, um, because what we're understanding now as this, as we evolve in the field of patient experience, we understand that uh, all of these perspectives must be understood, respected, captured, and and uh, improved upon if we really want to have the best experience possible in healthcare. Absolutely, and something that also uh, really. That you mentioned it's super interesting uh, about how this all this is connected and what we're seeing now that um, really hospitals uh, and uh, hospital chains uh, who have uh, higher patient experience scores they uh, manage to uh, attract and more importantly retain uh, top talent when it comes to both clinicians nurses absolutely and and the people who are going to stay and the people who are going to provide good experiences are the people who are going to feel heard and the people who feel like they are going they are able to co-design the way in which the organization does business so if i'm a physician and i feel like i have no voice in how my organization does uh you know anything, whether any process that we have for caring for patients and families, if I'm not able to be a part of that, then I'm likely going to be dissatisfied and I might leave. So the idea of co-design is also, uh, as, you're, as you're saying here, uh, a great example of how we retain those that we want to retain because uh, getting a new physician is a very expensive endeavor. And so retaining people who are good and who are committed and who are loyal to our organization is a benefit to us uh, from a patient family perspective because our patients and families have continuity. Uh, it's a, also a benefit to us from a financial perspective because uh, it's very expensive for physicians when physicians leave for us to hire new ones so the more that we can do to co-design uh, our experiences across the board the more uh, we benefit 
absolutely. And it's also remove the doubt whether patient experience have a financial impact within the organization, even taking standalone num like what you're going to say from uh, attracting, retaining uh, top talent, it's a big enough number. We're reaching the end of the conversation. There is really so much more that I would like to cover with you. But usually we ask our guests to provide only single advice, but this time I'll do it differently and ask you to provide two. <laughs> yeah. One of them for really hospitals who are just embarking on their patient experience journey and the other one for more advanced ones who already been doing and have a well-structured program. So for... For the folks who are new uh, to patient experience, I would just say um, begin with opening your mind to the story of those who have received care. Um, I think that for some that can be scary, it can be new, it can be uh, something that people resist. Um, but really, uh, I have a friend, her name is uh, Isabella Castro. She is uh, on our Global Patient Family Advisory Board, and she says that, uh, the, that uh, stories are data of the soul. And I, I agree with that. We, if we begin with just listening to the stories of patients and families, we can begin the process of understanding why we are embarking on this journey of improving patient experience. And sometimes that's really all we need to do in the very beginning. Um, as things become more complex and as we start to build programs and as we start to become more sophisticated uh, with the way that we work in the field of patient experience, my, my request would be then to be more integrated in how we work with the voice of patients, family, staff, and clinicians, um, and understanding that uh, there, we need to be diligent in understanding, again, going back to the lived experience, we need to be diligent in understanding what that lived experience is and not taking it for granted. It is a practice. It is not something that we do once and then we say, oh good, we had the, uh, we, we learned about that patient experience a couple years ago and so now we've created this program and we're done. It's actually something that we do constantly. Uh, you, have, uh, you can have volunteers that come in and actually observe you can have professionals that are that is part of their job that they observe and ask questions about what is the lived experience of this particular area and integrate that within policies and within our um, programs so rather than it being a separate piece of what we do oh we have a patient family advisory council over here that gives us some feedback how are we going to integrate the voice? How are we going to integrate the lived experience of patients and families so that it becomes something that isn't only about um, the, that separate section of our, of our healthcare system or our healthcare processes, but rather becomes something that we 
rely on when we start thinking about how are we going to build this program or this policy. Oh, first we need to understand the lived experience of it. And then based on that, we can prioritize and we can uh, make decisions and um, you know build financial plans and things like that. So really um, making sure that the lived experience is the foundation of everything that we do is is really my personal hope for the future of patient experience programs across the globe. Thanks a lot for sharing, Tiffany. I really hope that many more healthcare providers will follow your advice and um, really put in the heart of everything they do, uh, lift experience. Thank you. I'm really pleased that I had as my guest today on the CX Impact podcast, Tiffany Christensen, PX leader, author, and public speaker who inspires healthcare providers and patients uh, to improve their recurrent experience and escape from the status quo. Thanks for the fascinating conversation. I really wish that we can record a follow-up episode soon as there is so much more that I would love to cover. Uh, well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. You can find Tiffany's contact details in the podcast comments. And if you want to continue the conversation about anything you heard today or then how can GMC help you speed up your patient experience success, feel free to reach us at the cximpact at jamesic.com. If you liked this episode, hit follow and visit gemseek.com to learn more. Let's make an impact on the world of CX together. Thank you for listening.